everyone, welcome to another episode of Photography Chat. It's uh, season two, episode 19, 20? Oh my god, I'm losing track of the episodes. Uh, but we're having, yeah, episode 20. And we're going to have uh, Eric, aka Conspiracy of Cartographers, on with us here shortly. So um, let me see if we could get him on the chat here. Okay, there he is. Let's invite him in. What's up, everyone? Hope you're having a good week. <laughs> Howdy. Hey, am I early? No, you're right on time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good to see you. Good seeing you. I, I like your space. It looks very funky. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 messy and everywhere off of off of camera. That's fair. And a little bit on camera too. Yeah, I mean, like my dirty dishes are back there, and like <laughs> finally have some art up in the walls of the new place. Oh, it's. Uh, I have a very little of that. <laughs> I have the opposite problem. I have more art than I have wall space right now because I just moved into a smaller apartment. So oh yeah. It's um, time time to get some more art, man. It, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the thick buffalo head and some weird art on the walls that you can't see off camera. Big, Big Stop says, I'm out in public, so can't stay long, but y'all both rock and I plan on watching this in its entirety later this evening. Well, I hope you have a good time out there in public and you're being safe and I uh, hope you enjoy listening to it after. So how's your day going? Oh, it's not bad. I just got my second vaccination shot thing oh congratulations yeah so i'm i will be fully vaccinated in two weeks that's awesome. kind of cool is that when yeah. 5g kicks in and bill gates um you know in between whatever lawsuits he's going through right now deposits money into your account it is yes i'll be getting a lot of money uh some soros money but it, a lot of it is it is bill gates <laughs> that's fair yeah i mean he, he finally the giving pledge so the money's got to go somewhere it, it really does. And if it goes to me, I'm fine with that. <laughs> oh, man, someone's like Eric face reveal. And that, that's interesting because um, yeah. I had no idea what you look like because the photo you sent me was like a back shot of you, too. So it is, I'm I'm rarely in front of a camera. And when it is, it's usually the back of me in front of a camera. That's fair. <laughs> it's very rare. Yeah, but you heard the voice for so long now. Oh, oh, it's probably like you ever listened to like oh, this would be like old times listening to the radio. And you hear your your DJs in the morning, and you finally get to see what they look like, and it's so disappointing. Well, so that, that's a funny <laughs> one. And my old English teacher, Mr. Pew, Jeff Pew, just showed up here, so he might actually get this reference. But there was this CBC radio anchor in British Columbia here for the longest time named David French. I don't know if he still is doing CBC radio, but he had this big, booming, commanding voice. And, uh, <laughs> my mother put me through this like entrepreneurship program when I was like a teenager. And uh, so David French came to my little town to interview me about what it was like to be like an entrepreneur under 20. And from his voice, I was expecting like this commanding man, but this like kind of bearded hobbit <laughs> I'm envious then. 
like, I was like 14, and it was just like, yo, like your your voice and you don't don't match. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an interesting like that was the first time I'd come across that. Well, I think it was like the first time I'd ever met a radio personality. So it was yeah, really it's weird. It's really weird when you do. Yeah, well, and I guess because you've been doing the podcast for, for like how long now? Have, have you guys been doing that one? It'll be two years in September-ish. Oh, wow. Yeah. So probably there's a lot of people out there who uh, know the voice but didn't have a face for it. Yeah, I guess so. I, I show my face sometimes on Close Friends on Instagram. So those in the know know the mug, but those <laughs> that uh, you're just more, you're better off. That's fair. I mean, don't be so hard on yourself. It's it's not. Oh, it's okay. Used to it. I've seen worse. So. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was curious, like, um, what what got you started with the the uh, podcast originally? Well, I was with Sunny Sixteen for a while. Okay. And when they first came out, the first episode, I started messaging with Graham a lot, and. I don't know, we just started becoming friends. And after about episode 20 something, they said, hey, why don't you come on and we'll talk to you? Because at that point, they hadn't had like the higher caliber of guests that they that they do now. Mm -hmm. And I said, cool, I was on. And, and then it became like kind of a kind of a regular, I guess, with their backing paper episodes. I was kind of the fill in when Rachel didn't want to. I was there. And uh, we, we planned like some sort of it was weird. I had this idea for like a spinoff of Sunny 16 and it just sort of edged farther away from Sunny 16 and it ended up being this. Ended up being All Through a Lens. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I mean, yeah, it was cool. Start your own thing. Mm -hmm. I've always been curious too, the, the name, Conspiracy of Cartographers. Oh, that's from the movie and play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which is like a, if you know the, the play Hamlet, yeah. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are kind of the two comedy characters that it's sort of surround, they sort of, sort of, they're kind of the R2D2 and C3PO of, of the, of the play. And so everything kind of happens around them and they're very pivotal characters. So they, so Tom Stopper, a playwright, did a whole play just from their point of view. Oh. And it's hilarious really really good and so when hamlet it was a king i guess sends hamlet to england to be executed hamlet has, kind of turns it around and spoiler alert for hamlet has rosencrantz and guildenstern killed and one of them didn't believe that that was happening and says england i don't believe in it and the other one says what just a conspiracy of cartographers and it's like, like oh this is the well it was my friends and I were like really into this, into that name. And so we were like kind of into the hardcore scene, the punk scene. And we all agreed this would be like the best band ever. And so if we ever got back into the hardcore scene, got back into playing, we would have this as a band name. And then I just stole it. Did you ever make the band though? No. Oh, man. So you so oh, uh, before I get distracted on that, uh, Dan uh -huh. is wondering, how did you get together with Vanya? Did I say that right? Vanya, yeah. Okay, perfect. Or together, it, it is. To, <laughs> um, how did we? We we just started. I don't know. She messaged me about uh, some film. I think it was Vericolor Three or something like that. I'm not exactly sure why we started talking, 
But I just got the idea that I wanted to do a podcast and I wanted to do a podcast with someone who wasn't me. And I also wanted to do a podcast with somebody who wasn't a white dude. And it turned out that she fit that bill pretty perfectly. She was not a white dude. Still isn't. What's that? And she's not you. She is not me. A big plus in her favor. So she got the job based on that. And that she's just a really fun person. She was really fun to talk to. And we were doing a lot of talking anyway. And we thought, why not? Nice. Yeah, that was, it was pretty much yeah, friends. And then we just did a podcast. It was pretty natural. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's always the best when things happen sort of organic and naturally. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's pretty organic. The, the band thing, that's an interesting um, thing there. So have you played in many are you active in a band right now like no i had been i played in a few a few um hardcore bands back in the day as we say in the scene um yeah i <laughs> uh play guitar and vocals for oh. a bit yeah, yeah kind of the screamy screamy stuff oh okay yeah i never got into the screamy stuff but um was in a ska funk punk band with bagpipes and wow that's way cooler than anything i've done <laughs> and i played bass in it and it was a little terrifying not a little it was a lot terrifying to mm -hmm. my bass up to a to be able to play with the bagpipes live um wow because you it really feels like you're not supposed to do that because it's <laughs> The bass got really angry, like yeah, as you're tuning. I was just like picturing a string snapping and like puncturing my jugular, and you know, <laughs> teenager. Um, yeah, and I was in a punk band. Like the last time I, I was in a punk band in like 2008. Mm -hmm. Never got to play any shows because I had to move away. But the name was ridiculous. Um, it was called Electric Knives electric knives okay yeah like an electric turkey carver sure yeah yeah like the the guy that came up with it he was like the most hardcore punk dude i'd never i, I had ever known ever <laughs> um such a sweet soul i, I miss him dearly but um <laughs> we we'd been practicing for like months and we we're finally ready to do a show and uh the the drummer's like we need a name if we're gonna do a show and Mike, my, my friend, is like, I got the perfect name. <laughs> All right. Like, Electric Knives. And the guy's like, that is literally the dumbest fucking name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you don't understand. We need to be Electric Knives. And he's like, why do we need to be Electric Knives? He's like, because I've been calling myself Mike the Knife for the last month. <laughs> Really, and what's what's more hardcore than knives? Electric knives. Exactly. And I was yeah. like, okay, I could see his vision of like electric knives being hardcore. Uh, but that's interesting that like you, you, your background is with music there. So I've never really talked to other guests about this, but um, do you find that your influence with music previously is like kind of... Um, sort of steered your photography in a certain direction at all or well i think i think the punk scene has you know, kind of the diy ethic and and you know keeping things cheap and 
you know, more of a working class feel, I think that's really influenced my photography and definitely has influenced uh, my money situation when photography is concerned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to keep so it cheap, right? in that way, what's that? You want to keep it cheap. I do. Yeah. I try to keep the zines cheap and um, I don't know. I mean, that's really all I do is zines and ECM two kits. So, and they're, those are cheap and pay the rent. So partially. Devonopolis asks, can we talk mm -hmm. about how cozy Eric's living room is? Also, yes. what is Eric's favorite record when working with photos after development? Because I don't think he listens to music while shooting. I don't listen to music while shooting. Really? Yeah. I'll, I mean, if I'm in the car and I'm going from one shoot to another, like one, one scene to another, I'll, whatever's playing is there. Uh, but... While I'm shooting, no. While I'm, was it developing? Yeah, while you're developing. Well, I mean, I'm usually, honestly, most of the film that I develop is on Dev Party. So I don't, yeah, so I don't, I don't listen to a lot of music. I'm just used to not listening to music when I'm, when I'm developing. Sometimes when I'm scanning, I'll put something on. And it's, I mean, it's really whatever. I don't have a, I'm so bad at picking favorites. I can't, I just can't pick favorites. Um, but lately it's been... Lately, it's been Duran Duran. I've been on kind of a Duran Duran kick lately. Hey, I mean, doesn't like Hungry Like the Wolf. It's true. It's true. I mean, also from that same vintage, a really underrated one, but equally just as good as Duran Duran, is Animotion. I honestly, I don't know much of their stuff. If anything, I mean, there's like they had one big song in the states, but that don't, that's probably all I know. Yeah, uh, obsession. That was like their big one. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, yeah, that's right. Or Alphaville. Alphaville was from around that vintage too, and they were like super underrated. Yeah. Yeah, are they. Um, what did they do? They were I... made in Japan. <laughs> made in Japan. Was that them? Made in Japan. Oh, no. Big in Japan was them. Oh, big in Japan. Big in Japan. <laughs> that was Alphaville. That was Alphaville, yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of great music from from that. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful. That's most of my collection. Obviously, not Alphaville. That's. <laughs> but it's most of my collection. Yeah. Um, JP asks, uh, "How big is your tickle tent?" The tickle tent is roughly and embarrassingly the size of a children's pup tent. Like a children's dome tent. It's. I mean, I think it is that. Is that? Oh, I'm not familiar the, with the tickle tent. Okay. So. The tickle tent is. Um, it's you. You're familiar with dark bags, obviously, and you're familiar with probably dark tents, kind of like the smaller, like the that size or whatever. The tickle tent is, is a dark tent. It's a large dark tent that people use for. I don't know. I use it for developing X-ray film. So anything you need, like tanks, like a Yankee tank or the trays or something. It's maybe three feet, maybe three or four feet long and two feet wide. Okay. Yeah, with a big zip. I could climb in it. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fellow. And I could climb in it if I really wanted to. And then I could stick my hands out the armholes because they ha it has armholes on it because it's okay. for film developing. And it has a... It was sold to me thinking that there was like a, a ruby lith window on it. And that's not true. There is a Velcro 
piece of cloth over a hole, a regular hole. But then there's another one that is a Velcro piece of cloth with a hole cut in it with ruby lith on it and a headband around it. So you put this, this, <laughs> put this ruby lith over your eyes and then you Velcro your head to the tent. <laughs> so <laughs> your, your head is literally strapped to this tent, which, which is, I mean, it doesn't let light through. So that's good. But there's got to be an easier way to do it, like putting ruby lith directly on the tent. Yeah, that's just, that's just like it's easier to manufacture. It's easier to use, but that's not what they went with. That's ridiculous. Uh, Danielle says that sounds dirty, and I, I have to agree. When when Jake oh. was like asking, I was like, "Is this an inside joke? Are we like?" Gonna... It's an in it's an inside joke because. It's a children's. It, I mean, it's a children's size tent, and there's armholes in it. It's really. It, it's a bad look. Just, I guess, don't develop in any playgrounds. Maybe. It's always a good, good policy. Yeah. Um, Barbara has a question here. When you say you want to keep a working class style to your photography, what does that mean for gear to you? Oh, I don't know. Um, I. I mean. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a gear person. Um, I don't care about names. I, I care about quality, and a lot of times those you know go together. Mm -hmm. I'm really not a gear person. If I if I can get rid of gear, because I mean usually I'm carrying it on my back. You know if I'm if I'm out shooting, it's on my back. So yeah. light. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know how it would apply to gear, but if it would, it would come after weight. Okay. I try to get the, the, the lightest, you know, whatever, you know, carbon fiber or for like a tripod, carbon fiber tripod. And then my, uh, my film holders, I try to, I actually weighed my film holders. So I know which ones are the lightest. Interesting. And then I buy, you know, like, like a really heavy lens. So <laughs> it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It, it's about, uh, yeah. it's, it, it, I mean, we're walking contradictions. That's true. That is very yeah. true. You do the, and the working class thing mostly, I think, would come in with like how I price things. I would think. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how it would affect gear, other than you know, most everything you buy is used. So that's, I guess, working class. I don't know. Uh, I, I guess know. like not caring is kind of punk rock. So there you go. It's also just easy. <laughs> it, it is easy. Yeah. It's just easy. I don't shoot with a lot of people, so I don't have to like show my gear off. Well, I mean, you shouldn't really have to show your gear off anyways. Like, I think that's probably one of my least favorite things that happens in some film, film communities is, like, the circle jerking about gear. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, I'm just... Do with it. Don't show me what you have. Yeah. Yeah, like, wearing the Leica as a necklace, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the... I only have two bits of Leica. I have a Leica okay. keychain. Okay. Gorgeous. It's a beautiful like a keychain. I bet it is. And yeah, I, I love that one. And uh, the Leica Mini Instax. Oh, okay. The reason I have that is because some dude was selling it on Craigslist for like 150 bucks, and I was just like, <laughs> you have no idea what you have, and I'm going to take advantage <laughs> of this. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so it's like, I... I have a red dot, so I'm cool, right? 
I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then Instant Flamingo asks you, has running a podcast changed your photography in any way? Yeah, I think it has. Because I'm not a... I'm not an incredibly, like, thoughtful person. Like, I don't sit there and I don't think about photography. It's not, I mean, I, I, I'm always talking about it, but I'm not thinking about it. And especially when it comes to shots, my, my still, pretty much the way I decide on whether I want to take a picture is, oh, that's pretty. And I take the picture. But I think with the podcast, it's introduced me to, well, with Vanya, it's introduced me to a new style of shooting completely. And so that's nice, just having somebody just very much... Um, something to, to introduce like a, a new just new a new everything when it comes to photography. she's a totally different photographer than i am and then you know all of the people we talk about all the historical people we talk about and all the the you know things we have to learn to just do the podcast i think it's really it's just you know to produce it it's just really yeah it's really changed me as a photographer i don't you know and you're also just you're also always just growing as a photographer so I'm sure they, they've both affected, I'm sure me growing as a photographer has affected the podcast. I can't tell you how, again, not a very thoughtful person, but yeah, I would say so. We're actually going to be starting next season, uh, talking about like when we do a, a larger segment on a historical figure or like a different you know, thing about photography, talking a little bit how, it's in, how it might influence, influence us going down the road. That's an idea we came up with today, actually. That's interesting. Yeah, looking yeah. forward to hearing that. Uh, so am I. <laughs> Barbara uh, backs up her question with, "I'm not a gear person either, so I wasn't asking about names, but more formats or new versus old, etc. Or if you make oh. your own gear or shitty rigs." No, I'm. Uh, I live in uh, this apartment. Looks looks cozy, but is this is it? So I don't live in like a space where I can do a lot of woodworking or or metalworking or anything like that or even you know gaffer taping so everything's pretty much used i guess i do get lucky sometimes i do the, the chamonix that i do shoot with mostly is new only because you can't buy them used at this point because they're so new mm. um but everything else is i mean you can't help but buy a used camera right i mean there's no i guess you buy like the the, the the Harman the Harman one they put out recently the Kodak one you can get in Europe, but yeah I I don't everything's everything's used I don't know I don't know how else to say it everything is used uh, except for the Chamonix and the film though honestly the film is mostly expired so that's kind of used too. So is it because you prefer expired film or is it more just because of the the price point? Oh the price point's the same at this point. That's fair. Except, I mean, I've gotten I've gotten a, a couple of hookups over the past year from somebody local, and I got a really good deal. Very, I got obnoxiously, embarrassingly good deal on some film. They knew what they had too, so it wasn't like I was I was like swooping in there and, and like a vulture or something. So they were just interested in getting rid of it, and I was interested in taking it off their hands. And it's just tons and tons of color film. Um, I got rid of the the 35 of it and um, I kept the 120 and it was really nice because I'm not sure if I'd be shooting color 120 at all at this point if I had to just survive on new. I probably wouldn't be shooting color 120. That's fair. Um, yeah. 
Douglas Gibbon says, I think Eric's repairs plus modifications to Intrepid, among other things, are pretty working class, though maybe it was just practicality and not being wasteful. Who knows? Well, I, I guess you would know because you did it. <laughs> I did. Well, I did the. Well, that's why I got the Chamonix because they didn't do it well. <laughs> the Intrepid is a. <laughs> the Intrepid is a really wonderful. And, and it's, I don't know. I haven't tried the Mark IV one, but the Mark III. It was a really wonderful camera. And it was a great first field camera. And I would really recommend that and probably probably the Mark IV as just a great camera. But, you know, it's 3D printed plastic and it's, it's not always the most durable stuff in the world. So uh, it, things were breaking, especially the, the, hand, the little screws on the sides of the, of the front standard. They just stripped out. And I'm not, I'm really hard on equipment. I'm, I mean, I, I'm really, really hard on equipment. So that was probably more me than them. But with the Chamonix, everything's metal and some carbon, but mostly metal. So and wood. So, I mean, I can I can beat the hell out of it, and it's still gonna be a good camera. So the Intrepids are they all plastic three D printed stuff, or do they no. have models that okay? No, it's wood mostly, wood, metal, and but some of the the finer parts are three D printed plastic. At least they were. They may have changed that in the Mark IV. And Armadillo Tintype asks, do you ever develop most of your expired color film in black and white? I've never done. <clears throat> I, I've never purposely done that. I've done it a couple of times, not purposely. But yeah, I've never purposely developed color in black and white. I've thought about it and just never have because I'm really in love with the ECN2 process. Just I like what it does to color. Otherwise, I don't think I was, I was really bored with C41 color. I know that's silly because different emulsions will give you different things. But what got me onto that was I was shooting some old Vericolor 3 and it was just blue. It was 35 millimeters, just, just blue and ugly. You know, when film gets really expired and get, you know, the color shifts just real ugly. And I was really bummed about it. And then I got, you know, I, I somehow got the, the, the recipe for ECN2 and I put it together and I developed this, this, this same, from the same, you know, bulk roll of Vericolor and it came out beautiful just like super saturated, the reds popped, the blue just wasn't there mm. more than it would need, more than it needed to be. It just changed everything for me. I was like, oh, holy shit, <laughs> this, is, this is it. Now I can do color again. And so since then I've developed all of my color in ECN2. I might have to hit you up for one of those kits because I have a bunch of old Agfachrome. Um... Oh, I've just, I just did a roll of Agfachrome RS1000 or something like that. Yeah, so the, the RS-1000 is, it's one of my favorite films all time. I love yeah. that stuff. And I've got a pretty decent stash of it in 120 and like three rolls of 35 millimeter. But I also have some Agfachrome RS-50 in sheet. Oh. It works. I made the huge mistake though, right before I left Toronto, I was shooting with a friend and I thought, the, and this goes to, I, I did an episode of Large Format Friday with Pete, and he had a great recommendation for all the kids out there that shoot large format. Keep it to like three, three to four film holders, maybe five, but put them in baggies and label inside the baggie what you put in there. And then put it back in the baggie because I thought these film holders 
had Rolly 400 black and white in them. So I shot it for Rolly 400 and I processed it as Rolly 400 black and white. And then when I pulled it out of the tank, I was like, well, this doesn't look fucking right. And <laughs> I pulled it up the light and it was like Agfa. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is the Agfa Chrome. <laughs> yeah, I've got... I, I sort of do that, but I, I really, I have a lot of film holders. And again, I, sweet deals and things like that. And what I do is I do put them in black. I have black plastic bags that I double bag them in. And on the outside, and this is on the outside, I put the film holder number and what the film is on a piece of washi tape. And that piece of washi tape follows those sheets from the bag, you know, to the, the developer tank and, and then finally to the hangers. That's a great I do the same film yeah it just when you shoot a lot you really have to keep track of stuff and that's what i do yeah so i i'll have to check out one of your ecm kits because that that's curious mm -hmm. i'd like to see how um the rest of that agfachrome works and it'd be fun to play with some of the the 120 with the two and you're saying you may not shoot color medium format again um what uh What's steering that? You just prefer black and white more? Or? I prefer black and white. The, the price on color and the price on most black and white is a lot. Yeah. Uh, the way is a few things. The way I, the way I scan, um, I lay it straight on the, on, the, on the glass, on the scan of an Epson V800. And so I lay it straight on the glass, but the, new, the newer Kodak film it's shiny on both sides. There isn't a discernible emulsion and non-emulsion side. And so I get Newton rings no matter how I lay it down. So that's no Portra or Ektar for me. Oh shit, I didn't realize. Yeah, that's a deal breaker. It's just a deal breaker. Damn. Yeah. That's disappointing. It is, it is a little disappointing. So that kind of leaves, I'm not sure what that leaves for me in, in 120, I guess black and white. Are you excited about the uh, Cinestill announcement of the Eastman Double X on 120? Yeah, yeah, I am. I shot that a while ago in 35. I got a bunch of, like, I got a bulk roll somehow of it. And, oh, my God, I love it. It's so beautiful. So, yeah, I'm not thrilled with the price, but it's Cinestill, so I get it. But I'll, I'll shoot a few rolls and hope to not fall in love with it. Well, I mean, you will, though. Like, that's... I will. <laughs> but I have a, you know, I mean, I'm my the the hands down the best black and white film right now is Ultrafine, hands down. I'm not able to be be convinced otherwise. Ultra, and that's Ultrafine. Which one is that? Is that the Kentmere? It's it's basically Kentmere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, basically Kentmere in 120. Huh. And so they make it a 100 and 400, and it's just beautiful film. You can push the 400 up to 32 and. It just looks great. It looks wonderful. It looks great with a yellow filter. It looks looks. It doesn't look like crazy cranky with a red filter. It develops in PMK so nicely. It's just a beautiful, beautiful film that is missing right now a little bit. It's uh, out of stock, um, and and so waiting for that to come back in for about a year now. Well, hopefully, it comes back sooner than later. Hopefully. Until then, it's Fomapan for me. Fomapan is great, too. I've, I've shot a ton of the Fomapan 400 and really, really liked it. Yeah, I'm big into 100. And the Retropan 320, 
which seems like a trick film almost, but it's a it's a really lovely soft film that looks old, has a real nice old look to it. Have you um, played with the uh, Ferrania P30 at all? No, I haven't got my hands on that yet. That one is it's 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 like tied for like my favorite between Double <laughs> X and that. Really? Okay. It's. I really want to try it. It's really great. It's cranky though, so um, if you don't get your exposure like dead on with it, um, it gives you shit. Um, okay. But if you nail it, it's just so gorgeous. Like, um, I, I from what someone was telling me, I guess it's like one of the highest silver contents of like any black and white film that's out there. Oh, nice. And so it gives it just this like really beautiful contrast um and it's why like i fucked up most of the first role that i did with it um and hated most of it but <laughs> went and looked back after i'm like even the stuff that i hated originally like going back and looking at it a second time i was just like there's still some really cool detail like there's a lot of shadow in there but when yeah. you start looking at it like it captured a lot of really interesting stuff that i hadn't seen in any other film stock before so the p30 is really cool and okay. um i actually really kind of fell in love with the roly 400 uh that uh, that's uh that it's also ultra fine 400 i've heard uh, well it's, very similar it's to it same with the because it was the paul and reinhold limited one. Oh, what's that uh it's actually kind of a cool one so they released it for their anniversary uh, okay I just had to dig in the film fridge. Uh, so it was for their 100th anniversary. It was Paul and Reinhold named after oh. like the okay. the founders, I guess. And um, right. oh, sorry, it's a 640 ISO film, but it's got right. like a crazy latitude. So it says the exposure latitude is 320 to 1600. Interesting. And, I wonder what, like, where did it come from? I'm, I'm not like, sure. What's it based on? What's it based on? I'm not sure what it's based on, but it, it's interesting. Like it just one one role says Reinhold and the other role says Paul, and it's it's a double pack. And uh, <laughs> downtown camera where I, I buy most of my film at had a bunch of it, and it was a good price uh, for oh, for cool. roles of like nice black and white. And a lot of the black and white that I posted recently, the last few months, um, was with the the Paul and Reinhold and so that was a really cool one uh, but I'm not gonna like fall in love too much with it because it's a limited edition thing so I know it's gonna be gone eventually yeah yeah hmm. and also like T-Max 3200 what, what are your thoughts on that that guy I I'm not sure I've shot it okay I might have I, I know I've maybe I've shot it so not remembering it, I don't have an opinion. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Obviously, it didn't impress me all that much. But totally fair. I don't um, know. I don't know. Paul wonders if you've ever tried Adox film. Mm, no, I don't think I have. That's like the Silvermax. So that's, is it still made, being made? I don't think Silvermax is being made anymore. I've always wanted to try that. I don't know if it's still being made. Let's see what the Google says. Yeah, it's film. 
ADOX the brand. Let's see VH photo. What do they got for ADOX? It looks like you can still get it from uh, from B and H. Okay. They've got twenty ISO, ultra fine grain and high sharpness uh, for six bucks. Oh, and they got a Scala one too. Whoa. Hmm. Interesting. So they've they've also got a reversal film it, that's fifty ISO. Oh, okay. And you can bulk, you could order bulk rolls too. You can get a bulk roll of the 20 ISO black and white off of B&A. <laughs> and sheets, they got four by five. Interesting. Really? Hmm. How much is like a, what do they sell them for? Um, the bulk roll is 95 bucks for a hundred feet American. And then the, uh, oh, it's not four by five. It's three and a quarter by four and a quarter. What? <laughs> That's yeah. great. Yeah, so they've got 20, 20 she 25 sheets for 44 bucks. Oh, they do have four four by five sheets of Adox 20, 50 sheets for 108 bucks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so if you if you want to check that out, you can uh you can check that out on B&H Photo. Okay, I'll check them out. I'm kind of a freestyle guy. Well, West Coast, it's easy. It's quicker shipping than New York. That's fair. I do. Yeah. I like freestyle, too. I'd like to go check them out one day when it's safe to travel again. Yeah, yeah, Vanya's there fairly often. Nice. Yeah, nice to just drop by. Barb says, um, I watch a video on the new Scala process. I'm stoked to try it. But first, I'm mixing up the ECN kit. Nice. You got a fan in here. Well, I'm. I'm. <laughs> you got a lot of fans in here. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you. <laughs> I'm uh, glad people are using the ECN two kits. <laughs> yeah, man. Like it, this is just as much traction as I was getting when uh, Grainy Days was on. <laughs> oh, cool. Nice. Better comments though. The comments when when he was on were a little lewd. Yeah. Oh, like well, good lewd or just kind of like eh, lewd. Well, like not like awful, but like you know, I don't know, Beavis and Butthead unplugged. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hmm. <laughs> Boring lewd. That's the worst kind of lewd. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it'd at least be interesting if you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna be weird about it. If you're um, gonna offend me, at least make me laugh. Brandy, don't worry about being late. It's okay. <laughs> um, Instant Flamingo asks, "What is in your things to try list?" I'm assuming they're asking film, but maybe cameras or like processes too. Oh, things to try. Well, one of the things I'm gonna try is finding new processes for Dev Party. That's one thing that's on my list. And things to try uh, film. I'm, I'm, I'm very set in my ways when it comes to film at this point. I would try, maybe I should try to not be so set in my ways when it comes to film. Same with cameras. I, I have a Mamiya RB67 and that's my go-to 120 and I've got the Chamonix and that's my go-to uh, 4x5 along with the, the Graflex. 
Yeah, I'm not a big, like, let's try this anymore. I used to be. I used to have, I used to carry, like, on, like, a trip, like, 15 cameras with me. And it just got to be ridiculous. I still have, you know, a cooler full of film of, like, various whatevers. But there's nothing in it that's like, oh, I got to try that. I got to try that. I'm real boring when it comes to these kinds of, of <laughs> experimental things. But I would, you know, I've I've got because of the ECM two kits, because of the relationship that I have with the provider who who uh, who I get the supplies from, I get the chemicals from. I have a lot of different chemicals now, and I do want to start doing different things, different developers, and kind of making my own. I did that with D twenty three, and I made recently. I, I kind of reformulated Foma's uh, what is it retro special. I figured that out from MSDS sheets and kind of backwards compiled it i guess and it was pretty almost correct it wasn't as nice as theirs and theirs is super cheap and there's zero reason to do what i did but it was neat to see that i could almost do it i almost didn't fail it was great i, th I think you also helped uh carter um do some unholy shit with some dead pro kodak process um he it's like i don't even know how to say his instagram handle on like out live but it's like foodie yes i have no idea <laughs> yes uh I, I well inadvertently i didn't personally he he got one of my ecn2 kits and he used the bleach from it for i guess it was an e2 or e3 process like yeah, one of the old e3. yeah e3 he's a genius <laughs> he's just a genius a mad a mad scientist he is an absolute mad scientist and uh, an interesting cat to be friends with. He's all yeah. up to some crazy, crazy shit. Yeah, I love watching his stories. It's very interesting. And I think there's cats that show up once in a while. And that's love always... Cats. The, yeah, that's always cats show, the, uh, an important yeah. uh, part of uh, the Carter show. Um, mm -hmm. Danielle wonders, what is the craziest thing to happen to you while on a photo adventure? Um, well, I mean, there was the hike I did. I talked about it on Sunny 16, like right after it happened. I was doing audio diaries for them. And then the last one I did, it ended with me in, te <laughs> ended with me in tears uh, of, of being like relieved that I was alive. I hiked into a canyon in uh, Big Bear National Monument in, in Utah to see some old ruins, some old... Um, I guess Pueblo and uh, ruins. And yeah, I did that. It was great. I hiked down into it. It was like a 400 foot like descent into it. And there's, it was August or July. And there's, so there's no water in the Canyon. So I was packing all my own water in and I had just enough to do the 12 miles that I was doing. And I shot some stuff. And I found like some, some old, some old pot shards and some old um, corn cobs from like, a thousand years ago or something. It was pretty crazy. It was awesome. It was so cool. And then on my way out, of course, it, I left everything there. I didn't, I wouldn't take anything. Uh, and on my way out, I got lost, which you think it would be really, really impossible to get lost in a canyon. Because, I mean, it's just two walls and just go that way and you're good. But that's not how canyons really work. So I got lost a little bit. And I ran out of water and, and it was, you know, getting later in the day. And uh, it was, yeah, it was a little scary. It was a little, a little terrifying. Uh, you know, shit, 
photography is going to kill me. This sucks. I like photography. It shouldn't kill me. And I feel really betrayed. But I got out, obviously, alive. Um, but it was really an intense, intense experience. I've never been that thirsty before, that like dehydrated. It was really crazy. But you know, I got out my own power. I wasn't you know, Dumbo lifted out or anything. But yeah, that was probably the craziest. Uh, and that was all me. That had nothing to do with like, <laughs> with people with guns or anything like that. It was just me being a dumbass and getting lost and not, not stashing water, which if I do something like that again, I'd, I'd carry like more water than I'd want to walk with and then stash it, you know, somewhere close to the trailhead so that I would, well, yeah, you know, like a mile or so away from the trailhead. So just in case, I don't know. So, so what would Eric's top tips of not dying in a canyon be if uh, people want to go pursue that? Well, I carried like four cameras with me, which were unnecessary. So maybe take two cameras uh, and and maybe more water, maybe more water. Because you don't have, you know, there's no cell reception and GPS in a canyon is really spotty. So even with, with like, a, like a GPS tracking thing on it, you may you may not end up with like a good rescue. So, yeah, uh, I guess my, my tip would be if you find things that are ancient, don't fuck with them. But then on top of that, water. Because I, I mean, it, those things are more important. But water. Yeah. Just, just always bring water. I still get teased about it. As, and I should, I should. That was a dumb move. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, I brought water. It wasn't like I didn't bring water at all. I brought enough water for, for not getting lost. So, and you, and yeah. you survived to tell the story and, uh, you know... Yeah, yeah. Chris says, uh, play it safe, three cameras. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Honestly. <laughs> wow, that's... I don't know if there's too many people that have probably had a similar story and are around to share it. I mean, I mean, it wasn't like, I wasn't, you know, you get to that point when you're like, you're like dehydrated and tired, you get a little sleepy and you want to sleep and you shouldn't because, you know, that's bad, but that's as far as as close as it got to being in any real danger. I wasn't actually in like, I mean, probably not real mortal danger. It just, you know, it was really, it was really a wake up call. I need to be a little smarter. You know, I'm a desert hiker. I know how to hike in the desert, but you know, the can inside of a canyon in July in Utah is a different, is a different thing completely. I wasn't ready for it, but now I am. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Barrett Patrick uh, says, but did you get the shot? Oh God. Yeah. It was weird. I don't think I've ever shared them. I'm not sure I ever have. Maybe maybe one or two from. I think I. I don't remember which cameras I took. I know I took the Intrepid and probably the RB, but. I don't know if I've shared any of them. A few from like the so I took like a like a toy like Imperial Savoy plastic camera. And I shared a lot of those. And I may have taken the box camera. I probably shared some of those. But the actual 4x5s, I don't think I have. I was planning on doing something with them. I never did. But yeah, they came out okay. I just... Someday I'll share them, maybe. One day. One day. Maybe, maybe I will. I, maybe I have, but I just don't remember. 
don't know. I have a lot of photos that are like that, where it's like, maybe people will see him, maybe, I don't know. Well, you, you save them for things, you know? Okay. You think you have these, these high hopes, like, I'm going to put this in a zine, which is easy for me to say, because I do a lot of zines. But there's also a lot of pictures that I take that I think, oh, I'm going to do this. And then so I put them in a folder, and then they will be shared on a zine someday. And then I have like the, the, the here, she put this up on Instagram folder and they never meet. And so a lot of things there's over there, really what I would consider good pictures or pictures that I like anyway, that are just will never be seen by people. That's weird. It's really a, not a great system. I don't think it's that weird though. Cause I mean, I've talked to a lot of photographers and there seems to be a common theme where um, a lot of people just take photos that are just for them. Hmm. Like, you know, it's something that you, you were drawn to that and you like it. It's a pleasing image to you, but there isn't really a desire or draw to, like, put it out there, I guess. I definitely don't have that. Okay. I don't. I've never felt that. Everything. I love sharing photos. I love it. I think Instagram is probably the worst place to do it as far as seeing the photos. But, you know, it's what we got. So... That's where it goes. But I've never really found a place like, oh, this is all my own. I don't want to share this. I mean, the photos that I, I don't share on Instagram are the ones that I want to put in zines to share. So I don't, know, I, don't, I don't really have anything that I think is like too personally sacred or anything like that, that I can't share it. But that may just speak more to how I photograph than, you know, maybe I don't photograph those things. I don't know. I don't know what those things are. Again, not a thoughtful person. Uh, Brandy says more Atoll film in the future. No, that was a pain in the ass. <laughs> we so we found we had well we still okay. We would get like thousand foot rolls, uh, like Svema film or Tasma, like from, something from from Russia, and load them. I would load them onto you know thirty five millimeter cassettes. And then sell them to raise money for the podcast. And we did that for, I think we did that twice. Uh, Slow Meow and Fuzzy Perito, both named after my, my uh, departed cat, Juniper. Oh. And at this point, I can't imagine doing that again because rolling a thousand feet of film sucks. That sucks. Especially when you, when you don't have a way to do it other than breaking it up into a hundred foot rolls, jamming it, and a bulk loader and then just doing it like everybody else. It sucks. It's a horrible process. And now that we have a Patreon, we don't need to raise extra money for the podcast. We're doing okay with the Patreon. Thanks. That said, we're going to be making t-shirts because <laughs> I'm a screen printer. So why wouldn't we do this? Nothing wrong with that. No. Um, Count Snackula wonders, RB handheld ever or nah? Handheld ever. Ever? Or never. Or never. I only handhold it. Oh. I don't, I mean, there's, I could probably count on my hand how many times I've put the, the uh, RB on a tripod and took a picture. And one of the problems is my, I, I'm short. I'm 5'4". So when you put the RB on a tripod, I can't see into the chimney. That's fair. So... I, unless I'm like shooting on the ground, and I did recently shoot a bug. I was, I was at a campsite, and I had one. You know, you know, um, on film holders, you've got two sides, 
And if you shoot one side and don't shoot the other, it's a real pain in the ass when you go to develop it because you have to remember like, okay, I'm into this and you have to figure out what to do with this lone sheet that's floating around. So I just, I make it a point to shoot all of my holders in, to conclusion. So I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I was in, that, in my tent and I was like, I, I want to, I want to shoot something, but I'm thinking, oh, I can go into town and shoot, or I could do this hike and shoot something, or I could stop on the way home and shoot. And so I was kind of bummed because I just wanted to just get out and just, just go home and just be done. And so I got out of my tent, kind of grumbly, like, I don't want to drive into town. And I looked down and there was a, a dung beetle eating a flower on the ground. I'm like, oh, there we go. This is it. And so I got the large format camera out and I shot that sheet. And that's a special, that was a, that's one of those that nobody's seen uh, either. That's, um, I have old Ansco film from the fifties that I've been shooting and I need, I want to do something with it. I just don't know what that is yet. Uh, but I also used, since I'm, I, you know, I was on the ground, I also put the, the RB on a tripod, cranked out the wide angle lens so I get the macro and shot the RB on a tripod for one of the first times. And so that's, that's really rare that I do it. And when I do it, it's usually on the ground and a bug is involved or a flower. But even most of my flower shots are handheld. So I just don't want to bother. That's fair. I think yeah, I'm steady. I don't have like, you know, nervous hands or anything. You're very lucky. Not, not a lot of people can make that claim. Uh, it's probably my lack of coffee. <laughs> that could help. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ariella asks, uh, how do you decide between shots that go into a zine and those that don't? The good ones go into the zine. The <laughs> not good ones or not as good ones go on Instagram. That, and whatever that means at the time. Uh, a lot of times I'll take multiple shots of a scene and there'll be one that like, well, if I'm shooting like the, the old Ansco film that is automatically not going on Instagram, that's going to whatever book or zine or whatever is going to happen to them. And then whatever is the, whatever the one is going to look better, like if there's more detail in it and it will look better, like slightly larger than Instagram, that will go in a zine and one that will look okay, or at least acceptable on the tiny little Instagram that goes on Instagram. Okay. Has a lot to do with details, a lot to do with contrast, I think. Has a lot to do with whimsy at the time, you know, whatever I'm feeling. It's, and sometimes it switches back and forth. It's rare that I post something on Instagram that's been in a zine, unless I'm plugging a zine. I do keep those things very separate. So that if you buy a zine, there are you know, 40 or 50 pictures you haven't seen before. That's a good way to go about it. Yeah, I think so. I think so. No, 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 it's not a rule, you know, hard, hard rule or anything, but something I try to do. Yeah, I've, I've kind of felt the same way with book projects that I have planned, where it's like the pictures for that are just for that. Yeah. You know, maybe there'll be like a promo picture here or there related to it, but like I want those pictures inside to be special. Yeah, yeah. I want it to be something they haven't seen before. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just more interesting for me, too. Yeah, it keeps it more kind of fresh for you. Yeah. yeah. Derek McDougall uh, says, you're very well-versed in American Native history. What is your go-to source for this knowledge? I'm not. Um, I wish I were. Uh, the source would be, if I'm researching something at the time, I grab... Uh, as, as when it comes to Native American scholarship, you want to get as new as possible and university press. You don't want to rely on 
you don't generally want to rely at least primarily on primary sources. And that's usually not the case when it comes to history. Usually you want to rely on primary sources as much as possible. But with Native American studies, you, you really have to watch first person, especially first person primary sources from white people or, you know, even or, or first person sources from Native Americans that were translated by white people. Black Elk is a great example of that, who's, who may not have spoken any of those words in the book attributed to him. So I would, the, the newest scholarship possible, and especially scholarship done by Native Americans, that's a different kind of history. They, they approach history in a different way than we do. Uh, but I think both, I think you need a really good mix of it. I don't think you can just rely on one, especially when it comes to Native American history. When it comes to like American history, it's, you know, whatever. But when it comes to Native American, you do have to really be careful what you, which sources you go through. And um, it, I mean, it, it depends on, on what you're doing, but generally which sources you go through. And, and I try to do as, as close to tribal as you can get, I guess. Sometimes it's not possible, but you know, the, the higher the scholarship, the better. Yeah, it's, it, it's tough because there's a lot of whitewashing of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. White people don't want the masses to know what they actually did to indigenous populations, really. Yeah, I mean, there's there's... Yeah, when academia, that's not necessarily the case. So that's why you, you try to do that as much as possible. But any kind of like, any older, yeah, I guess any any primary sources from like the 1800s, you, you really kind of want to avoid, or the early 1900s, even into the 1960s, you want to avoid. And I guess that goes with, with anything non-white, to be honest. Well, yeah, it, it's tough, <laughs> like, um, you know, what happened with like Black Wall Street in Tulsa. Like yeah. white people basically tried to erase the fact that they committed mass genocide and tried to wipe out a whole group yeah. of people by repurposing it as a race riot instead yeah. of what it actually was, a dead genocide. Or, or really, I mean, I didn't learn about it at all in school. I was never mentioned, taught, even, oh, even like civil rights movement was never taught when I was in school. Yeah. So it was, it was, it wasn't just changed. It was just it ignored. Well, in, like, that's the same thing in Canada here. Like, we, when I was growing up, we never learned much about um, the Indigenous and First Nation populations here and what happened to them. Well, what in, like, when I was a kid, what was happening to them at that point? Because I think the last residential school in Canada shut down in, like, the mid-90s. Um, so, like, while I was still a kid, the yeah. atrocities were still happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we didn't learn about that in school. And they talk about it at a kind of high level now, but they, they don't address it fully, like, you know, what had actually happened to those uh, those groups of people, which is just fucking shameful. Yeah, it, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going through a bit with, like, um, the 1619 Project and critical race theory and mostly Republicans in America freaking the fuck out over what they're calling revisionist history. And, and it is, and it is truly revisionist history in a good way, because you're looking at history and going, oh, wait a minute, this needs a little bit of revision. This isn't exactly what happened. Let's revise yeah. what we're commonly taught and maybe, maybe put in some real stuff. When Brandy says there's a new doc out about the Black Wall Street massacre coming out on History Channel, by the way. Hmm. 
That'll be interesting. Uh, I'm assuming they'll blame aliens since it's a History Channel, but <laughs> yeah. we'll see. Aliens. <laughs> we will see. Well, I'm they- always and I, and and when it comes to scholarship, I would and I'm, this documentary could be wonderful, and there are a ton of wonderful documentaries, but that would definitely not be a go-to for mediators learning. Yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, and it could be a wonderful documentary filled with first-person accounts from it, from it happening. It probably is. I mean, honestly, I would. Be, it would be weird if it wasn't at this point. Yeah. But yeah, documentaries are very hit or miss, so I kind of avoid them. But I would want to see that actually. Yeah, I, I would be curious to see it too, because like that wasn't like being Canadian. Like I'm not super up on like what's happened down in the states, but it's it's interesting learning about these things that that had happened there, like. Um, you know, the, the Black Wall Street massacre, um, what's happened with indigenous people down there. And there was, there was even one that uh, I just learned recently that was kind of mind-blowing about, like, um, this the erasure of a community when New York was building Central Park. Oh, yeah. And I, I'd never heard of, like, Seneca Village and all of that. And it was just really disheartening to learn like about you know these white people were like we kind of like this we want to build a park where you've built this really great community so um this community is really far away from where everyone else is living right now so we can basically say whatever we want about it and everyone will believe us so they made it sound like it was like this deplorable living conditions and mongrel people and like all this stuff going on there so that they could get the votes to eliminate that and it's it's sad that those tactics are still used in in our world today. Like I was talking yeah. to um, to Cat about this the other day. Um, mm-hmm. There was a pipeline that they were trying to put through in British Columbia. Um, shit, like ten years ago now, um, the Northern Gateway expansion, and it was going to be the first pipeline to bisect a province. So it was okay. cut through part of Alberta all the way through British Columbia in a straight line hmm. um, to the the ocean. And uh, it was to, you know, put bitumen to super tankers out of Kitimat. And oh. uh, a lot of, like, um, researchers and stuff were concerned about the fact that it would be the first pipeline to bisect a province because they were alarmed at what would that do to migratory animals and things like that, where all of a sudden now there's a pipeline right yeah. where they're planning to cut through like what they've grown up understanding and knowing. Um, but then also just like the, the greenwashing they had done to convince people from the lower mainland where the bulk of the population in British Columbia is that this was a good project. Yeah. And, uh, they did that by literally like changing the maps of the northern province. Um, so where the super tanker uh, port was going to be was in, I think, Kitimat. Okay. I think matter Prince Rupert, uh, which is like, it's sketchy to get through the channel in the ocean to that port. And uh, when you look at an actual map of it, you're like, you would have to be absolutely insane to be like, this is a great idea to drive a super tanker through this very, very tight channel. Uh, when they're doing all the marketing material to get the lower mainland uh, vote of confidence on it, um, they kind of just stripped out all of that land that was pocketing and craggy in between there and just made it look like it was a straight shot from the ocean to Kitimat. 
And they're like, look how simple it is. They no right. So everyone in the lower mainland was like, what's up with all these whiners up in northern British Columbia? Like, don't love the economy and like, you know, what's wrong with progress and stop. You know? Don't you love the economy? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and so it was weird because I, I was living in Prince George at the time, which which was up there, and um, I like my ex wife and I were part of like the pipeline protests and stuff to you know go go against this, but I would also spend a lot of time in Vancouver because I travel for work, and it was just wild seeing the two different worlds uh, around that, and also like a lot of the indigenous uh, nations were involved with that too because the pipeline was going to go through their nations. And yeah. so some of them were opposed to it and others were like, okay, possibly with getting like money for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was where I started learning a lot more about like what's going on with, with uh, indigenous uh, issues in, in British Columbia, but also in, in Canada. And so like to Derek's question, the, one of the best ways to learn about it is like, if, you, if you're close to a community uh, out there, like an indigenous or first nations community and they have like some sort of outreach or something, go there. And, yeah. and learn about the history from from there because mm -hmm. um some of the most eye-opening stuff i learned was was from right inside of uh the, the tribal nations from yeah inside i love of to make it really easy they have museums and things like that are very you know i went to i went to black hill it was like a lakota i believe lakota museum and it was um, amazing <laughs> it was really amazing yeah heartbreaking but i mean it, it's it, it's it is what it is you know it's really really good yeah so if, if that's something that interests you and you want to learn about it like going going to the source going to the people is yeah. a great way to learn that because um you're not going to get the watered down version of it um and in i don't know if it's the same in in the u.s but in canada um a lot of the um, indigenous communities are working on nation rebuilding and, and trying to get uh, to a position of self-governance. Mm -hmm. um, so they're doing a lot of uh, land claims, mm -hmm. trying to get their land back. And for them to do a land claim, they have to do a ton of research on the area that they're claiming and have this uh, all these arguments and documented proof and all this stuff of like, you know, why they're claiming that oh, land wow. back. So um, a lot of the, the nations that are working on nation rebuilding and, and making these land claims are bringing in troves of, of information in, from wow. their past and their history. Histories. So um, it's a really great time to learn from that because like the, the richer nations that have been a little bit more fruitful are doing some interesting things where they're even digitizing like their pasts and stuff too. So they're sending people to go interview the elders and like you know get the the verbal like oral history from them before the the elders are gone and yeah. and all that so um you know i don't know if it's similar in the states because I'm, I'm not sure how um i mean there's there. yeah i mean it's it's obviously it's not a monolith but yeah in some places yes in some places no yeah, yeah. Douglas Gibbons. Some places they're, they're just trying to be recognized as a tribe, as an official tribe. You know, like around here, that's a problem. That some some tribes just aren't recognized as officially as as tribes, and that's a, a big issue. So they're, they're just being recognized is is on their list of things they need to do, rather than just like you no know, land claims. But yeah, we're 
we're really weird with land in the U.S. We're really, it, we're really weird, especially in the West. It's a mix of, it's a real volatile mix of federal government land and people who hate the federal government. So it's, it's, it's a powder keg that's blown up a few times and it's probably going to again. We've got a bit of that problem in, in Canada too, where it's just like, you know, it's all the crown land and like, you know, what the crown has allowed to be for sale and what they've given for uh, reservations and, you know, okay. still remains as crown land. Uh, but Douglas Gibbons uh, has an interesting point here. During a pipeline protest last year, documents came out showing that the Royal Canadian Police, the RCMP, they're a federal police force here, mm-hmm. had to shoot to kill orders if the First Nations protesters on a pipeline wouldn't stop resisting. Um, and that doesn't surprise me because there is a long history of police violence um, steeped in, in our police force. So the RCMP was originally created as a way to control First Nation populations. Yeah, makes sense. That was the initial intent of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police was uh, to take care of of natives in a Mm non-pleasing way. Um, And that still is part of their history today. So, I mean, that's all part of the whole abolish police and and defend that, you know, they're not protecting people when they're doing stuff like that. They're they're protecting property and corporate interests which is kind of a terrible thing. Um, oh, it's a horrible thing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really bad thing to do. Yeah, Derek says, when I, used, when I was younger with one of the Mohawk here in a great mm-hmm. one-way history, uh, it, it's very one-way history, and he's in southern Ontario. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it, we got a little off topic there from photography, but uh, <laughs> it's... It's an interesting dialogue to have. Is yeah, it is, and it could bring it back. By you know, if, if you're shooting somewhere, you're on at what was at one point more than likely on unceded indigenous land. Yeah. So if you're out there shooting, or if you're shooting at your home, maybe try to figure out who was there before you. You know, it's just well, something it, to know. That's where I I kind of love these people that's like that get so uppity and they're like go back to your country like you know damn immigrants and it's like but you're you're an immigrant <laughs> like we're, we're yes immigrants here <laughs> exactly. but they fall back on the well we defeated them so they're a conquered people yeah. which I mean yes true <laughs> but it is a little different and it was an unfair fight. Oh, I mean, yeah. definitely not defending them, but that's what they fall back on. That's how I was raised. I'm, I'm from a very, Republican isn't maybe the right word, but like very conservative Republican, like Trump family. I'm sorry to hear that. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, awful. <laughs> it's awful. Having having lost both um, one and a half parents to Trump in the past four years has been weird. Oh man, so like that's something that, I I just do not understand anything to do with all of that. Well, yeah, because we can look at him and people like him and, and say, yeah, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> he sounds he's like he sounds like an idiot. But it's because he's saying things that we don't believe in. But if he is saying things we do believe in 
would we would we follow? I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a thing we we can't we can't know. So, what they believe in is horrible and wrong, but he's saying it to them, and that's why they go along with it. He's saying it in like a crass, you know, elementary school level way, but he's still saying what they believe in, and he's making it easy for them to. I also say what they believe in, which is racism for the most part, and and hating poor people, which they're poor. It's no sense, but that's what they do. So I don't know. It's a it was a, it's weird. It's a weird situation. It's fucked up. It, it is, and I mean that kind of ties into something that has like been really bearing down on sort of like my heart and mind with the film community as of late is um, there's just, there's a lot of bad actors in the film community. Okay. And, and more I, and more of them are, are kind of getting it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I remember you, you recently were posting uh, about a Canadian film group. Yeah. So like that, that's, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> sorry. Um, okay. So, and I, I've talked to him about it. Uh, I've talked about that specific group on the CCR podcast, uh, Canadian, a classic camera revival with Chrissy and uh, and uh, you know all the, the James and uh, Bill and uh, John on that one, um, and was pretty frank then. But you know, more has come out since since that episode, and I just like it. It. it bums me out that these kind of terrible people have followings behind them and and you know it maybe these people don't understand like the the nature of these people and they just sort of see it as oh like this is a way to get more likes or like get my work shared or like it's a community to be part of because we don't have a lot of um like canadian focused community on the grams like you know for the most part most of the interesting uh film resharing accounts are are all american Mm -hmm. um or in in other countries um which is why like uh the the founder of the collective that i'm part of the northern film collective she created that to sort of celebrate um canadian film photography and showcase Mm -hmm. canadian film photographers um and that's been a really great project to be part of um, and shortly after um, Becca started the Northern Film Collective, um, this guy Pete started Canadian Film Photographers and then a bazillion other accounts, I think like Caffinol Lab and um, a bunch of different large format ones. And recently he started American Film Photographers, <laughs> which is interesting. Okay. That... It's kind of like a wanting white history or something. Uh, well, in... It's weird. So he uses all these different accounts to cross-pollinate each other. So, it's um, so lame. Right? It's so lame. I mean, even if they're... I don't know where you're going with the problematic stuff, but even if you stop there, that's just weak. <laughs> that's just lame. Yeah. Like, where he gets... So the first interaction I had with this dude was on a Beers and Cameras virtual event that I hosted in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And he got on there and was just like... Um, raging about like yo film is the best and everything film and screw digital and he's like getting very aggressive about it 
and I had to like be like, yo, pipe down. Like, you know, this is, this is supposed to be a fun, safe place for, for people to like, you know, share their opinions and it's beers and cameras, not beers and film cameras, like all yeah. cameras. Um, and then I guess he thought that like, I was like a compatriot with him because I hosted this event and kind of put up with him. Okay. Um, but he's like blocked me off and on the, since then, um, <laughs> whenever I don't agree with his stuff. Um, but it was just weird because like we had an interaction with him at Northern Film Collective um, and he like messaged me to talk to me about it. And I was just like, I just work here, man. Like you <laughs> talk to Becca, this is Becca's thing. And he was basically like, nope, I need to reason with the man. So like, you know, <laughs> Because the man can, he understands. And I was just like, you are not good. This is not, not good. Um, and yeah, Paul says film elitist. He, he is very much a film elitist. Like he's got this whole thing where it's like, you know, the film community must fight against digitalia and, you know, overcome. And he wrote this crazy manifesto of like how, um, you know, uh, their film needs to come back into school and we need a commitment from schools to build dark rooms again and the media companies need to commit to producing everything on film again and stopping using digital and film companies need to uh, commit to producing more film again and we must demand that Nikon and Canon and all the previous film uh, or camera companies make film cameras again and like it was just like this whole like you know Unabomber it's, it's manifesto that is such a wonderful parody. Like, like, that's a, that's, I don't know. I'm, that, the thing is, the thing that's, is, for him, it's not a parody. It, this is a reality. It, it, how? How? He, he thinks that he's actually going to change, change the world with this. So what? Like, if, if that happened, so what? I mean, I mean, okay, I, I barely care if you shoot film. Barely. I don't give a shit at all if you shoot digital. So yeah. why does somebody care? I don't get, like, what, I, I what have, is that? What is that? I, I have no idea. Like, it's it's something to, to hang on to. Because I, I agree. I don't care if you shoot film or if you shoot digital or if you use your, your goddamn camera phone or whatever. As long as you're having fun and you're creating something interesting and you're not violating someone's space or consent or, like, anything like that, do whatever. As long yeah. as safe and in consenting and you and the other parties are enjoying it um who cares what you use um but yeah and then he also he started caffeinol lab so he is like um you know offering this service where he makes caffeinol kits that you can order or you can mail your film to him and he'll process it with caffeinol also and I haven't heard good things about that. And uh, he's been fairly sexist to a lot of like female um, film photographers, which I also don't, I just, it just is so angering that, that kind yeah. of shit. Yeah. And that was like the kind of like final straw for me was like hearing stories from from other photographers, not just women, but also men that have had like really poor interactions with this dude i was just like things like this need need to just stop like it's yeah. we we need to take a step back from being so focused on the likes and the interact and the whatever um and just be like 
if this is a bad community, it just shouldn't be supported at all. There's yeah. so many other communities that are good that will bolster each other that don't have sexist, creepy people behind them. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'd heard that he got banned from one of the film groups in Toronto for being inappropriate with women during a live event. And, oh, that's okay. you know, like that, it, women already have to put up with so much in the film community. Even on our best behavior, we're horrible. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> and I, I mean, with people like that, though, I, I just have zero fucking tolerance. Zero. I have none. Yeah. So, I mean, at all. And I just don't. And, it, and, that, and that does have a, of a negative effect, too, whereas I, I am a little isolated from that. I don't follow, like, the, like the, the, like the Instagram accounts that do, like, that you, you hashtag something and then they repost it, whatever yeah. those are called. Sharing accounts, repost accounts. I just don't. I don't bother with them unless they're run by a woman. That's fair. That's just that's just how it works. It's just like I'm sorry, men, you fucked up, and you keep fucking up. So I mean, I'm sure they're really heartbroken over not having me liking their stuff, but it is what it is. One, well, it's it's true though. Like even talking with um, other like um, collaborators that I, I've worked with, they've expressed that they have little to no interest with working with men again and would prefer to work. <laughs> female photographers and mm -hmm. I don't blame them because like a lot of the time when you look at some of this like male driven photography it's um it's like boring like you know or they're like well I need my creative vision to be seen and my creative vision requires you not wearing any clothes because it's click tits click ass <laughs> boom I'm an artist it's like fuck off yeah you know it, that kind of shit's boring and, it is. Um, it, like, it's, and, and I don't, it's, it's like photographing homeless people. I yeah. don't understand what more you can say about this. Like, what more are you offering? Is there, is there something that we haven't heard before? Is there something new that you're doing? No, there isn't. You're not doing that. And the same thing is with, you know, half or all naked women. You generally aren't going to say anything new here. So, you know, best case scenario, just stop. Yeah. I, I agree completely. Like, it's, um, I don't know. We have to do better. Yeah. And, and but it's, so, it, it's easy to do better. It, 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 well, I mean, it, it's easy for us to say it's easy to do better because, like, we're not awful people. Um, <laughs> Speak so. for yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, like... <laughs> awful but like i know when to behave like you know sure. i'm a somewhat socially adjusted maladjusted human <laughs> um but like i definitely know right from wrong yeah and, um you know i don't know where most of the dudes in the world were when that sort of knowledge was being handed out but it seems like most of them were absent when when that happened yeah to, to one degree or another yeah, like it's yeah. like I don't know, just don't don't be a dick. So, um, I mean, long rant short, Canadian film photographers, fuck you, um, Caffinol Lab, fuck you, American film photographers, double fuck you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but especially, you know, Pete's film photography, 
fuck you, be better, man. Um, you know, stop belittling people and and just having this sort of like elitist douchebag mentality about film. There's nothing yeah. special about film. Nothing. Like it's it's there's a magic to it, sure. That's what draws us into it. But there's nothing that makes you better just because you shoot a film camera. You know, okay, maybe you have more disposable income because you can go spend that money to buy a film camera and buy film and get it developed and do all that stuff. Good for you. Yeah. Hooray. But just because you're doing that doesn't make you better than someone who's shooting a Canon Rebel or their iPhone 8. You know, it's... um. Yeah, just fuck you. Yeah, I don't. I mean, when I see like a TV show or a movie shot on film, it's like, oh, neat. That's kind of cool. I like that. You know, that's pretty cool. And that's where it ends. That's where it should end. That seems like a healthy level of interest in what other yeah. people are doing. You know, like, oh, I like that. Or I don't. Oh, this is digital. I, okay, everything is, and oh, that's fine. It makes film more special in a way. Well, but, the only reason I get jazzed about film being used in media at all is <laughs> that's a good thing selfishly for like us. Is yeah. If media is buying film, that means film companies are going to be that much more inclined to keep making it because regardless of how much film we buy, we're like a drop of piss in the bucket <laughs> compared to what Hollywood and like everything is, is using. Like, you yeah. know, we really don't matter. And that's why Kodak Alaris is like this every time they do a price increase, because they're just like, if you don't like it, who cares? Yeah. Other people are buying like, you know, volumes more than you are. So I don't know, shut up or just buy it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, when Cine still announced the double X in, in one twenty, my first thought was, Ooh, maybe we'll get some black and white 72 millimeter movies. Ooh. would be fun because <laughs> everything now is like 16 millimeter so it's gonna be fun dude i didn't think about that yeah if they're making it they're making it in 72 so well that's the thing is like be, they're they're able to make it because they're buying like the coffins of film they're not because originally they were just buying finished uh movie uh stock from kodak and pulling the remjet off of it um, but now they're buying like the full raw stock and making their own, uh, which is why they can do the different formats, which is, is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that would be really cool to see something shot in that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's wild. So my mind first went like, ooh, 72 black and white. That'd be really fun. Well, and Douglas Gibbons says here, the lighthouse is uh, shot in double X. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was 16, wasn't it? I think it was 16 millimeter that that was shot in. Well, there's 35. um... There is, but I think it was shot in 16. It's really fucking grainy. Yeah. But he also used like a blue filter, I think, to give it an ortho look. Huh. Yeah. Have you ever played with the um, Ilford Ortho 80? Um, No, but I shoot X-ray and... Uh, Arista Ortho Litho. So I'm I shoot a lot of Ortho. And ortho is pretty cool. The X ray. What's that? Ortho is pretty cool. What were you gonna say about X ray? Well X ray the X ray that I shoot is blue only sensitive. So oh. that's like tin types essentially. 
as far as the emulsion goes. It just captures the, the blue spectrum and, and very, very little of the green, very, almost none of the green. So X-ray, is that sheet film or do you get it's it? Just, um, I think somebody is making it into 120 at this point. Okay. But I'm not sure how. I mean, I guess buying like huge sheets of it and cutting down. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's sheets only and it's emulsion both sides. So it's a huge pain in the ass to develop. And it scratches so, when you get it. Um, so why would it be more problematic to develop since the emulsion's on both sides? Well, if you put it in like a steam and press tank, you will get the, it won't develop fully on the side that's, that's touching the holder, I guess. Okay. And if you're using the Yankee dip and dunk tanks, which, which is what I do, there's weird chemical surges that you get that I can't control. Uh, it's bizarre. I'm still working my way through that. And if you do it in a tray, you have to make sure it's like a either a flat bottom or just put a piece of glass on your tray because it'll scratch the hell out of the emulsion. Huh. Yep. It's a real pain, but when you nail it, it's so beautiful. Have you ever tried uh, the bees reel? The, what is it? It's like a bonnet photography. Uh, is that the white one that looks like a PVC pipe? Yeah. Okay, no, but I, I don't think it would work for X-ray because I do think the back is touching a little bit, or at least there isn't enough flow behind it. I looked into that. So do you need to develop the back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you need to. Otherwise, well, I don't know. I'm not sure how you could not develop the back, like partially develop it. You can strip it with bleach, I think, after oh. the fact. Okay, yeah, so you need it to develop because you need it to wash it off so that you can have the negative be... So you can see, yeah, so you can see through it, yeah. Because, well, x-ray film is coated both sides so that you use half the radiation when you're taking an x-ray. Okay. So it's kind of like taking two pictures in one. And that's safer for everybody involved. Though after, vet after the animals switch over to digital, we won't have x-ray film probably, because most of the extra film is being used by vets at this point. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. But there's so many varieties of x-ray film. There's more varieties of x-ray film than there are black and white varieties at this point. Yeah, I've been curious about x-ray film, like um, Sarah Jean Acor was yeah. telling me about uh, Polaroid x-ray film. Uh, I'm talking her. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that is. Uh, so Polaroid apparently made 8x10 x-ray film that it was like instant x-ray film. And um, it's apparently really cool to shoot just yeah. black and white. Um, and she has a, a stash of it. And uh, yeah, so that's like one of the things that I'm curious to... Uh, check out at some point when I get the rest of my 8x10 rig put together because I've got the processor and I've got holders I just don't have an 8x10 camera yet I wonder if it was military use like in the field I'm not sure like it that would make sense yeah because they would probably want it instant out there yeah and you could crank it I can crank it and yeah. you wouldn't even need, like we need electricity for the for the, for the x-ray so yeah I don't know that's bizarre. I need to look into that. That sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, like, that's what's kind of fascinating with film is there's just all sorts of, like, interesting uh, technologies yeah. that, have, that have come out of film. Like, yeah. 
and a lot of stuff related to like war as well like um a, a lot of people don't realize that um polaroid was uh one of the largest think tanks during wartime to help develop military technology oh odd no i didn't know that yeah so that was where a lot of um their money like the war chest that they had built up it came from um world war ii Mm-hmm. Um, because they were doing a lot of um, special projects for um, the U.S. military. And that's actually where the SX-70 camera got its name from, uh, was all the projects that they were doing for the government were denoted as SX for special experiment and then given a number. And the last government project they did was SX-69. And yeah when uh, Edwin Land wanted to create a new camera and a new film to dominate the market, he didn't want any of the competitors to know that he was working on a new camera, a new film. So they used the last designated SX-70 so that the competitors would just assume that all of this investment and all this work that Polaroid was doing was just another government contract. That they wouldn't do any espionage because, you know, you don't want to do espionage on government projects because that's going to be, you know, not sure you get, if yeah. you get busted on that. Um, but yeah, there's a, a ton of uh, stuff like the, the sonar in the sonar autofocus and the SLR 680s and stuff. Um, the technology for that was borrowed from the first missile guidance systems that Polaroid had created for the U S military. Wow. Yeah. Wow. No, I had no idea. That's crazy. Yeah, so it's, it's super fascinating. Like, that's where Polaroid got all of the money to just basically be a cool engineering company. Yeah. Um, because they were not a typical, like, money-focused corporation for a really long time. Like, Dr. Land was just really focused on doing the right thing from an engineering perspective. Yeah. Like, the guy he tasked to make color instant film, he gave him the task, and the guy was like, I spent two years researching color before I even went into the lab to work on stuff because had I gone in the lab right away Dr. Land would have lost his shit on him because he didn't (laughs) want people to work on stuff right away he's like if you were given a task he wanted you to become an expert in the realm of what that task was before you started working on the task so the guy just started like researching all these different color hues and dyes and things like that to see what happens when you mix them all together before he actually started working on it And they did a really interesting experiment where um, this woman got hired as a grad student and they shipped her off to some small desert town for a year. And he wanted to see what would happen. Could it be possible to ingrain Polaroid into Americana to be part of everyday life? And so he issued every single resident in that city that this uh, grad student was dispatched to a Polaroid camera an unlimited film for a year. And it was her job to make sure that everyone was getting film and everyone got the cameras and all the pictures were being cataloged um, because he just wanted to see like what it would be like if everyone was using Polaroids in daily life. And she was like, it was an absolute waste of money. We spent millions of dollars (laughs) giving these people cameras and free film and the research from it went absolutely nowhere, but he just needed to know. He was curious. And so Polaroid would just do these like grand crazy things yeah that's awesome huh yeah. sorry just a bit of a polaroid nerd <laughs> no no that's awesome i, I no, nerd out 
go for it. <laughs> yeah, there's some like really interesting books on on Polaroid history because I, I did a, a workshop um, on instant film in Toronto last year, and so mm -hmm. I wanted to like sort of bone up on uh, Polaroid history um, so that you know it wasn't just like these are Polaroids and they're cool. Check out the pop up camera; it pops up. <laughs> so neat <laughs> it is like i mean kind of what got me into the whole thing was like the pop yeah. camera um <laughs> but it was just like it was fascinating to learn where it all came from and yeah. um just the brilliance of of land and it's just like he was an example of what to do when supporting everyone in a community that you're building so he paid everyone well Mm -hmm. He tried so many times to get unions into board and it just never happened. A lot like Kodak. Kodak was the same way. They could never get um, a union into Kodak just because, um, you know, George Eastman took care of his staff very well yeah. and similar to, to Dr. Land. Um, but he was also like one of the early adopters of like equal opportunities for everyone. So mm -hmm. Um, he actually hired a lot more um, women out of universities than, than he typically did men. But, you know, yeah. he was like, doesn't matter what sex you are. If you've got a yeah. great brain, I want you here because, you know, yeah. the more brains, the better. Um, yeah, we need more people to be like that. doesn't matter what sex you are. If you can contribute something great, then do it. Yeah. 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 It would be nice. It's it's weird. Yeah, it, it, it's we still don't do that. No, it, it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's as much as we herald all the advancements that we've, we've achieved and we've accomplished and done, have we really achieved super greatness or whatever? Because, like, you look and it's like, we're still hella racist. We're still hella sexist. <laughs> we're still taking land away from people that we shouldn't be like look at what's happening in palestine with israel right now and yeah. you know most of our governments are like good job dude very much yeah like, israel has a right to defend itself you're yeah. kind of late to the game like we did this years ago you yeah i mean you know <laughs> come to the club yeah yeah and 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 most and many of us a lot of us are still pretty financially not great dude not, which, not even close yeah which we should be yeah, like, there, where, um, there was an article that, that Kat was telling me about where America was listed as a failed democracy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, of course, the people who are trying to make it fail would say it's not a democracy, it's a republic. Because you want to get rid of democracy. Yeah. Why? But yeah. 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 But I mean, in the little world that we can be part of, in this ecosystem of, of photography that, that we're all part of, um, I think we all play a part in making this community safe and, and welcoming to each other. And Absolutely. Um, like I'm, I'm sure like you've had great experiences and you, you probably pay it forward where you can to welcome new people into it. I mean, yeah, I... I as much as I can. I am very, you know, isolated sometimes. But yeah, I, I do. I, I'm... We, we, well, the people that we interview, we, we, don't, we don't chase, like, 
nothing wrong with these people, but like Jason Lee, for example, we don't chase after trying to get nothing. Nothing. He was just, he's the first name that popped in my head. Not, not, we don't try to chase after people who are going to get us lots of, of listens. We want you know people to. Funny, though? Jason <laughs> didn't get that many listens when I interviewed him. Hmm. He, he was one of the more popular ones. Odd. Um, and that wasn't a, f a fame chase either. Like Jason, Jason's a pal. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I was, I've, yeah, I was, I've been, well, we had followed each other for, for a while, a few years ago. He's back, so he's probably following you again there. He kind of goes off and on, on the ground. He does. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. a, he's a unique man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, the chasing the likes thing, like I, I can feel that, you know. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, look, we had... We had Pete Halverson on, who was probably the, as far as likes and like followers go, he's like an ambassador for, he does like the, a lot of the Kodak photo walks. He's, he did when we could do those things. And he's a really big beach photographer and he's got, he shoots film mostly digital. He's a commercial photographer, lots and lots of followers. Uh, great guy. And he was a, probably the biggest person that we had on and far from the the most listened to episode. And so when we got him on, like, you know, we got on because he was Vanya's friend. And we figured, oh, we're going to get like a lot of new listeners from this. This will be an interesting thing. And it didn't happen. Like we got no bump at all. We didn't get that Halverson bump. And it, it really solidified for us like, oh, we don't need, we don't need famous people. Yeah. We just don't need them. So we're just going to interview people who we want to talk to and kind of be selfish about it. Well, I mean, dude, being being honest, you got more interaction than Jason Lee as well, too. Um, so it, it really isn't about the fame of the person. And that's something that I've um, made a point of doing the, the chats here, too, is um, I don't care about getting famous people on here. I just I want to talk to interesting people. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't matter if you have like 10 followers or if you have like 100,000 followers, like yeah followers don't matter because you can still buy them you can yeah i mean it's it's yeah it's yeah you can it's weird uh that's just a, a weird mentality it, it is a weird mentality so like i i kind of i don't think that's a good gauge of being like oh man they have like fifty thousand followers they're gonna be so it's like yeah they probably have like a hundred and then they bought together well, i mean even I mean, well, and this is because of, I have going on 6,000 right now. Yeah. But my interaction because of the algorithm is well lower percentage wise than most people's. Mm. That's, it's baffling. I'm not sure how or why, but it really fucks with you. And I hate that. Probably my least favorite thing about Instagram is how it gets into your head. Cause I'm not like a, I'm not a fame chaser. I'm not like, oh my God. But when I see like, fucking Vanya getting and rightly so getting a lot more likes on the picture because it's a better picture than I would I'm just like what the fuck how how are you doing this like what's happening and it's not anger at her obviously I'm just teasing her but it's like I don't understand the algorithm and sometimes it really gets into your head where it's like why well, it could be the algorithm but maybe I'm just taking shitty pictures right now well, and you're also a dude, so I mean, I've I've noticed when I post 
pictures of women, those are the ones that get the most interactions. Yeah, Vanya says the same thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I, I even have, like, people, after I post, like, uh, shoots with, with female collaborators, I'll also get, like, you know, oh, we want to, like, partner with you on this thing, or, like, we love your work. It's like, I'm not looking for a cosmetic steal. I don't need cosmetics <laughs> here. Um, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's true. Because of Vanya, I get ads for bras. So, well, I mean, that's it just how it works. You know, a little bit of extra support could never hurt. I could, no, I could use it. You know, COVID being what it is, could definitely definitely use the extra support sometimes. It gets lonely sometimes. Yeah. You just want a hug. You're, you're just want a yeah. little hug. Dude, I miss hugs a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't wait for hugs and photo walks again and to be able to travel and go see photo pals. Like, it, um, I miss that shit. Yeah. Like, it's weird to think, too. Like, all the stuff that we took so for granted not that long ago is, like, when we meet again in person, like, are, are we gonna go straight for that or are we gonna be awkward it's like hey uh the fist bump shoulder I are we gonna do the elbow bump thing again because I, I didn't i didn't care for that that weirded me out the elbow bump thing was weird the foot tap um, okay that's it uh, no do not touch my feet <laughs> and i won't touch yours <laughs> it's a solid deal there <laughs> yeah like it's it's weird because because i'm thinking about that now it's just like you know it's been like it, it'll be like two plus years possibly by the time we can start being all social again i guess i mean i'm i mean i don't know uh i'll be fully vaccinated soon you know two weeks from, from today and i i'm i'm just gonna go back at it i mean i i've i haven't changed i shoot alone i shoot in places where i'm alone so i my shooting hasn't hasn't essentially changed at all over COVID other than maybe I was a bit more alone, but barely. I mean, it was, it's, it's coincidentally, maybe I still traveled. I still did what I did. I just didn't talk to people, but I never talked to people. I don't go into restaurants even normally. I, nothing I can eat there. So I don't go into them mm. and I don't, I don't, I don't camp where there's a lot of people really i i don't i don't really do that i don't go into like big national parks unless i really have to and i didn't over covid so yeah i don't know it didn't it didn't affect me at city life it did you know like my day-to-day -day life it certainly did. i was unemployed for a year so that affected me but uh shooting wise other than i had a lot more time to shoot which was kind of nice i didn't really it didn't affect me at all just because i'm you know, I'm a lone wolf. <laughs> <laughs> that just made me think of Zach Galifianakis from uh, from the uh, the Hangover. You know, okay, you're wolf pack of one. <laughs> I am. I am a wolf pack of one. My my pack are the cameras. Yeah, I mean, my cameras are my best friends. Yeah, they're allies that, that let you down on a consistent and unpredictable level. Sometimes. Yeah, like it. Yeah. What's been the most disappointing thing that's happened to you when, when you've been working with a camera? 
uh, it's just light leaks that you don't know about till you get home. I mean, it's, it's not instant disappointment. It's like a disappointment time bomb. It's like you've st stepped on a, a disappointment landmine and you're not sure if it's active. But you know, as soon as you pull those sheets out of the tank or pull the, the roll off the reel, it, you could step in it. And that's probably, I mean, as far as accidents go, there's really nothing more that can, can happen. You know, I've dropped cameras and it is what it is. You just got to be careful. But I think, yeah, the biggest disappointment is, oh, hey, is um, it just light leaks. Yeah, and the, the 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 obnoxious amount of holders that I've had that have had light leaks in them. So. Light, yeah, I would I would have to second light leaks, and the one that I still do it every now and then, and I just hate myself every time it happens. Specifically with my F five, mm -hmm. it'll it'll say like empty when I'm done a roll of film, okay. and then like when I finish a roll of film I don't always remember to rewind it so it's like I'll finish a roll of film and then I'll see that it's empty and it's like oh shit I gotta put a new roll in and go to oh no and then yeah th just that moment of like ah oh, shit <laughs> how many pictures yep. did I fucking ruin <laughs> yeah yep. yeah I do that I'll do like I'm taking the if I'll take the like the RB67 holder out of my bag I will grab it I'll grab it by the dark slide and just pull the dark slide out. I'll do that like once a roll. It just happens. You'd think there'd be a catch on there that won't come yeah. out. Why doesn't it have an interlock? I, because they think it's funny and someone is laughing all day. <laughs> like, oh, we got another one. That's, that's kind of brutal because like my, my Bronica, um, it has an interlock. So when you take the back off of the Bronica, you can't remove the dark slide until you put it back on the camera. Uh, what, um, what kind of Bronica do you have? What is it? Uh, Bronica SQAI. Okay, nice. I, 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 I've wanted a Bronica S2A for years. And I, they're, just, they're just fun looking cameras. It, that, it does look fun. And the Nikon lens looks really cool on them too. Yeah. Yeah, everything is cool about this camera. I bought one from a camera guy in Philly off of eBay. He went through it, it looked beautiful. It got to my house, it looked like it had been run over, but I figured, well, he probably packed it well, so, you know, you should be it should be okay double boxed and, you know, packing peanuts and all that stuff. No. It was a priority mailbox and just wrapped once in bubble tape, bubble wrap. And it was, uh, it was fucked up. It was bad. It was really bad. And it was right before, and this is just, this is old guy bitching about camera prices. It was right before Bronica's got cool or something. And the price jumped, the price doubled like, like a year and a half ago for some reason. Yeah. It was right before, it was like right before it. I returned it, got my money back, went to buy another one, and they were like $600 now. <laughs> yeah, I think it was uh, because like Willem Verbeck made a video on them or something. I don't, I don't, who? I don't know who that is, I'm sorry. Some fucking YouTuber. Is it a YouTube guy? I don't, I'm just not on YouTube for that, for camera stuff. I'm on YouTube, I mean, not me personally, I watch things on YouTube, but it's mostly stuff like 
live feeds of eagles' nests and the Iceland volcano. I mean, the Iceland volcano sounds more... I I get sucked into uh, clips of Columbo. Okay, I can see that. I don't know why. It, I've been on a Columbo kick for like the last... <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that um, commercial, like old commercials, we use old commercials in Dev Party. And so we'll have like, and you'd think it'd be old camera commercials, but FPP has that market cornered, so we don't go there. It's just random old commercials from my childhood. Man, there were some good commercials back then. There were some good commercials that we remember. They were probably not good commercials. <laughs> we have. It's the only one that I can remember right now thinking of like old commercials is the my buddy one do you remember that one oh god yeah uh-huh my buddy my buddy my, my buddy, buddy. And me <laughs> yeah yeah we um vanya keeps wanting me to use that one and i'm just like i don't know that's gonna get in my head and just stay there forever i don't know if i can do that but it, i probably will it's something that lives rent free in my brain and i don't want it to no yeah no uh the one i, I just edited an episode just like right before we started talking and we use the honeycombs big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not small. No, no, no. That one. And that has been in my head the entire time. When we're talking, we're talking about very serious things. In the back of my head. Honeycombs Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, shut up. Shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, those were like, man, so, so many one. And... and... I don't know if you guys had this in the States during like the clone revolution of um, the PCs, but it was like um, to an electronic song where it was like, do you really want a clone? Talking about like, don't buy a shitty clone PC. No. Like some famous like electric song at that point. And that one pops in my head all the time. But like sleep country Canada, why buy a mattress anywhere else? <laughs> it's it, it's just a good question. Why? Yeah, why would why? I mean <laughs> that's interesting, like the sort of like when, when those bugs get in your head. Yeah. I have um Rough Riders four by fours, you can try to stop them in my head a lot. Like way more than oh, I should. Man. I always wanted one of those, but like my family is way too broke for like the cool shit. I got like the Kmart brand or whatever. <laughs> Those are like the foam wheels that would spin when you got on rocks. When when I was in middle, just elementary, just before middle school, I desperately wanted a pair of Reebok blacktop hex light pumps. Okay. So bad. Like mm-hmm. it was all shit. Nike was garbage. No one wanted Nike that year. It was all about Reebok. And, like, it was all I could talk to my mom about all summer. And um, she's like, I got them for you. And I was all stoked because it was like, we're going back to school. And I'm going to be really cool with my fucking Reeboks. She got this, like, knockoff pair at Zellers that were, like, (laughs) it didn't even have a name on them. But they were high tops, and they had this hard plastic sole, so Mm -hmm. there was no grip. They were just, like, sheen, and it's, like, fall in northern British Columbia, so it's, like, already icy and shit, 
and we were broke so it's like I couldn't be like I'm not gonna wear these like screw you I had to wear them because like she's like well I bought them and you wanted them so bad and the first day I go back to school I slipped down a hill because of ice and knocked the wind out of myself yeah like sliding down the hill like it's <gasps> <laughs> not like hello childhood trauma thanks mom <laughs> the the shoe thing happened to me too really yes i wanted a rebox this was probably i don't know 87 or 88 really wanted a box so bad and uh, my parents went to Sears, uh, probably priced Reeboks, and said, hell no, heck no, Christians, yeah. and saw the Sears brand, which was called The Winner. And it wasn't just called The Winner, it had a tag on the tongue of the shoe that you could, that, that, the tongue that you put out over the pants that said The Winner on it. And they brought them home. Oh, look, got you some high tops. And I'm like, well, okay. These, these, these are, my heart was just like broken. This is, this is awful. Cause they say the winner on them. And so I wore them to school one day and I was mercilessly teased for being the winner. You can't, can't wear the winner. You can't, you just can't do that. I don't know what I was thinking. And so I went home and I cut the ta the tag off of the shoes. Cause it was like a, like a, a sewn on tag that went over the tongue. And so I cut that off, went to school the next day. And well, that's kind of even worse than having the winner on your shoes is yeah. removing the winner from your shoes. It was awful. It was, it was, really was already done. You, you it was, it was, <laughs> but that said the winner in the seventies may not have been a cool shoe. I don't know, but Converse made them and they look pretty awesome. Like if you search like the winner 1970s Sears shoes or whatever, the 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 designs that they had come up are totally like they're like they're Converse but they're like cooler, huh. like cooler 70s colors, really cool shoes. But they did they didn't say the winner on them also. So, well, I mean that's the same thing as I, I don't know if you ever had the the Levi's incidents where it's like you tell your parents you want Levi's and they go buy them but they buy the orange tag and you're like I can't go to school in the orange tag because like only Hicks wear the orange tag like you know no I don't we I we I got Lee's oh. that was it because there was a Lee's outlet mall or outlet store in an outlet mall close by sort of close by probably not close enough to justify going there uh, you know whatever and so i would get like you know ten dollar irregular lees with like one leg was like an inch longer than the other one didn't have a pocket on the back or something i mean so i think these are the stories that form us <laughs> oh, oh god yeah <laughs> yes I, I have the scars from the winner absolutely i like that one the winner that's the winner yeah. Well, it, it's interesting to, I was reading um, a thing where someone was talking about how um, the generations today um, are maybe not learning some lessons that our generations did because there's so much more information available now and how like when we were younger, um, we watched a lot of shows that weren't really geared for us because it's just what was on. Yeah, sure. So we, 
sort of absorbed this information that wasn't really quite for us at that point, but like sort of steeped into our minds. And so we learned lessons earlier on than, than we should have that, you know, some people may not be learning today because like they're not subjected to, well, just flick through the channels and find something that seems more interesting than the shopping network or, you know, the yeah. guide channel. Yeah, I guess and they're learning different lessons. I think they're learning lessons that we should have learned as well. That's true, yeah. You know, they're definitely learning a lot. You know, consent is is a big thing that we just it just wasn't I mean, it was kind of understood sort of in yeah. like a don't be a dick way, but it wasn't like very specific, you know. Like being a dick to a guy and being a dick to a girl, two different things. Well, it was like boys will be boys and be a man yeah. kind of shit. And I just, yeah, there was a lot of that. Um, not in my family. My dad was actually really good with that. Okay. He was always like, men should be able to cry. Men should be able to show their feelings. And he was, you know, a last child. So that he was like the youngest. So maybe that's why okay. he's that way. But he did. That was, I was really, that was uh, really driven. And for being like a, like a right-wing Christian family, that's rare that I yeah, got. Kind of I got that weird focus on the family thing, whereas don't be gay. And also the, it's okay for guys to cry. So it was a really weird line I was walking through adolescence. Yeah, it's okay to cry as long as you don't have a dick in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's, it, yeah. it's just harder. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, that could be in several different ways. Um, you know, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> um, Brandy says... But I wouldn't want to be a kid now. Too much social media bullying and anxiety. Literally cannot escape that shit on any level. And I agree. I mean, even yeah. if like, we face that social media bullying, um, it's, it's scary how social media can be used as such a negative tool with little repercussion from it. Yeah. And um, no way to really stop it. And... Like, I think that's why, you know, struggling back to, like, my rant earlier on, it's more important any time than ever for us now to speak up about bad actors in our communities to, to yeah. help prevent that and to make this uh, a safe place where um, we welcome anyone to come in and share what they think is cool or ask questions without feeling dumb about them. Because, I mean we all didn't know what we know now at some point we all yeah we didn't know it wasn't 120 millimeters <laughs> at some point we well, all thought it was 120 millimeters dude <laughs> like probably 65 maybe 70 percent of the 120 that i've shared on my account all is hashtag 120 mm because i didn't know yeah yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to go back and change all. I'm just going to own that shit. I didn't know. Because it does not matter. Even a tiny little bit. It doesn't. If this is what you're upset about someone being wrong about, that's on you. That's, that's a you problem. Yeah. You know, it, or, or like technically critiquing someone when they didn't ask about it, being like, yeah, this image is garbage because like you could have done this or you could have done that. And, you know, yep. they're really proud of it though. And like, maybe it, it is a really great image despite not being technically correct, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. Unsolicited advice is always wrong. Yeah. Yep. If someone wants critique. Yeah, absolutely. But if 
you're finding yourself critiquing somebody who didn't ask for it, you're an asshole. That's just how it works. <laughs> Sorry, you're an asshole. You may want to look into that. <clears throat> if, you know, if you are technically correct about a lot of things that nobody asked you about, maybe an asshole. And we all, we all well, maybe not the critiquing thing, but we all do in the uh, unsolicited advice thing. We all at least are tempted to do it, maybe. Um, yeah, I think it's part of like human nature, like especially- probably. If- you know, you're talking to someone and they're struggling with something and you just feel inclined to be like, I can help. And Sure. Yeah. I think mean, you have to feel that out. I mean, that's case by case. But when it's just like, oh, you did this wrong. Shut up. Yeah. Don't be <laughs> just <Yeah>. shut up. <laughs> maybe they just enjoy it that way. Yeah. Or maybe they don't want to hear it or they're in a place where it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter to them, maybe, yeah. you know? Or if you know if if it really really matters to you, you can feel it out. If it's if it's just bothering you, you're up kept up late at night over what somebody posted on the internet about it with a picture. Maybe get to know the person a little bit, and then you know have a relationship with them and talk to them a little bit and get to know them. And then you know, if you still feel to do that, bring it up. This could also <laughs> but, be a really great realm <clears throat> to mention therapy. Um, oh. you know. If, if you get really upset about things on the internet that you can't control, um, a therapist can help. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, that is true. It may be covered under your health plan. Who knows? If, if, if you have one, yes. Yeah. It might be. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, there, there are Americans in the crowd. So, yep. uh, yeah. <laughs> You're looking uh, at one right there. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, maybe you can just like talk to a stranger. <laughs> yeah. 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 The next time someone's like, hey, you got like five bucks, it's like, I do if you have 10 minutes. <laughs> Let me unload to you about what happened on Let the internet. Tell you, this guy, Kevin, <laughs> on the internet, he posted this photo and oh my God, the exposure was wrong. If only he bracketed it, you know, and he used the wrong lens and it wasn't shot on a Leica. And ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God, I can't. Okay. It must be so horrible being like that. Like, you're miserable all the time, right? I couldn't imagine. Right? Yeah. I mean, you have to be like, like, you know, I, I love my parents, obviously. But you know, my mom, she's, she's angry constantly, politically, you know, just constantly. Like, why? Like, you don't have to live like that. You can, you know, be concerned about things. Even, you know, we don't agree on things. And that's, you know, what it is. You can be concerned about them without just letting it dominate your life and ruin, essentially ruin relationships and ruin your, ruin your life in a lot of ways. You know, also get off Facebook. Yeah, I mean. That's <laughs> a good start, maybe. I only have Facebook to stay in touch with some family and friends, but I don't use it as something to share about my life. Um, I also like seeing cat memes and i get most of the cat memes well I, I used to get most of them off of facebook but now tiktok is a really good delivery meme of cat cat yeah memes. i'm not on tiktok but vanya hooks me up with a lot of cats on tiktok which is very appreciated i do the same uh, thing for cat she's not on tiktok but i send her you know, spicy just... memes all the time and then i mean we had jp the lord of spicy memes joined us earlier and okay you know, JP's uh, meme game on his Instagram stories is tight. So if you want to see what's up, give JP a follow. And what's it, that's JP dot WTF. Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. Um, yeah. 
yeah, it, it's, 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 there are nice things. And those are the nice things. <laughs> the, yeah, there are nice things. And <laughs> about it. Like, social media can be a very dangerous place. And I, I've talked recently with a bunch of friends that have like, they're, they're taking breaks from it because they were finding it too, too toxic. Um, yeah. Which <clears throat> I kind of, I don't agree that it's the social media that's toxic per se, but how you interact with it. Um, I think, I mean, it can be a great tool. Yeah, I get, but when you're like on the road or somewhere and you just, you maybe you don't have access to it, you're just busy or whatever, there, there is like a really nice feeling. Like, yeah. hey, I don't give a shit what's going on on the internet right now. That's pretty cool. I like that feeling, but I do think you need um, you define your balance. My balance is I could be on all the time. It doesn't really bother me. Except for Facebook. Fuck Facebook. Yeah. But with Instagram, I, I've kind of kind of created a little bubble for me that isn't reality, but it is a lot of pretty pictures and cat memes. And that's nice. And I'll stick with that. I don't see I don't see sexism. I don't see <clears throat> racism, like blatantly, obviously, you know, blatant and all that. But I don't really I'm not I don't see any of that. Because I don't, um, I don't follow people who are like that, at least knowingly. I mean, at least people who post that. So it's just not part of my online life. One, I think that is an important thing with, with Instagram is, is being selective about that kind <laughs> of stuff and curating the experience that you want. Um, yeah. As like the algorithm doesn't follow people for you. <clears throat> no, it doesn't. If you're seeing things that you don't like in your feed and not just in like the search thing, you know, you chose that. So yeah. If it makes you feel like crap and you don't like it, then, then stop following it. Yeah. You can, I mean, if, if you're, if you're following somebody whose photos you just don't like, you can mute them. Yeah. You don't have to unfollow them. That's, I think it's kind of, kind of a little mean if just to unfollow somebody, you want to be a little passive aggressive, like the Seattleite that I am and just, you know, mute them so they don't know. That's Okay. <laughs> So if I haven't commented on your photos in a while, maybe that's why. But probably you're not. Down in, you're in Seattle? Yeah. Oh, shit. We're, like, basically neighbors now. We are, yeah. I just can't go to Canada right now. Well, I can't come to the U.S. either. But We could meet at, uh, at uh, Peace Arch Park. Yeah. Is it Peace Arch? Yeah. I, yeah, I was there. I was there New Year. No, Thanksgiving. I was there on Thanksgiving. And it was really sad because... Um, families from the u.s and canada were meeting there and having and having lunch with each other it was really neat but it was kind of sad it is, it, is kind of sad. it was it was a really a neat thing to see but uh yeah so we can legally meet there though i think it might be technically closed on the canadian side but you can walk into it there yeah, was some weird shit going on in canada close to it but yeah we can't like <clears throat> the border is still open if you are going over for essential purposes. Sure, yeah, well, this isn't border crossing because when you meet in the middle, it's it's kind of better. There's that one treaty that this plot of land is, it can be used without passports or visas or okay, anything. I didn't know that. Yeah, so you can go to this part of, of uh, well, part of it's America, part of it's Canada, and where the peace arch is, is right in the middle. And so when you pass through that arch, you're going into another country, but it's not like you're going into another country because we're all brothers. And all that that's that stuff. So 
in that one place we can all meet and get together and um, watch trains go by. That's pretty much all there is to do there. That sounds very enthralling. It's, it's a neat place. I've been there a couple of times and it's <clears> pretty cool. We should plan a photo adventure sometime of the piece. Yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Get a bunch it's of people like... on both sides. <laughs> yeah. Once yeah. we're all vaccinated and, you know, things like that. Um, like, I definitely plan on making my way down to Seattle as soon as oh. it opens up. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how close we are. Because I don't, I haven't been to Vancouver. Because I didn't have a passport until last year, which is a great time to get a passport. Yeah. And I, so I hadn't been, I've been to Canada and like Ontario when I lived on the East Coast. Been there quite a bit. But I never got into Vancouver. So, or in, or across the border at all. And it's it's weird thinking that like really fucking close to me <laughs> compared to like where I usually travel, which is like three four hours away. Yeah, and Vancouver is interesting because it's kind of like Seattle, but it just smells more like weed. <laughs> more like weed than Seattle? That's impressive. Well, maybe now that like it's it's kind of legalized there, but oh, it's totally legal. Yeah. The last time I was in Seattle, it wasn't. Okay. And um, I was like, this seems like a lot like Vancouver, except there's like not as many homeless people and it doesn't smell like pot. Oh, we have a lot more homeless people now and there's a lot more pot. So you'll be right at home. Basically just like Vancouver. Cool. Be, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're maybe a little colder to you. Yeah. We won't talk. We won't talk to you. And that, that Seattle thing kicks in. You're like, we should meet up for a, for a photo, a photo get together. I'm just like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, Let's see about that is a, but of course, absolutely. Yeah, we, but you know, still, so, uh, I don't. We we just don't. We aren't that. I think it's changed a little bit in the past few years, but we generally are. Uh, we don't talk to each other, and when we do, we don't mean it. It's it's, we, it's called the Seattle freeze, and uh, people say it's not real, but it is. Randy sure. says uh, you're not making Seattle sound great right now. Oh no! I'm sorry. <laughs> when you get here, you will bring the southern charm and southern wonderfulness, and I on and then all seriousness, absolutely cannot wait for that. Yeah, because I am East Coast, so I am friendly. I am outgoing. I do smile and wave at people when I walk up, when I when I walk past them on the sidewalk or on the street. I don't now, but my my instinct from being raised that way is you do you wave to people. Yeah. Which is why I like traveling in the Midwest, because when you're on like these ranch roads, these old roads, you pass somebody, you wave to them. And that's so cool. Even like though they're like in the car, passing in a car, you just wave to them. It's so cool. Yeah, the, mid the Midwest is cool. I oh, love the Midwest. like to explore it a lot more. Worth exploring. Maybe I wouldn't live there, but it's uh, a really wonderful place to explore. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you ever want to visit Vancouver, you have a note. Mm -hmm. I do. And I'd be happy to show you around. My place is not huge, but you're welcome to pop a squat in my kitchen. And, uh, yeah. I'd do it. I'm getting a blow-up bed at some point, so... Oh, I, I'm... I, sleeping bag is fine. I usually sleep on rocks, so... I'm usually tenting. So, like, literally any roof over my head at all is better than what I usually have. <laughs> well, anytime you can come up to Vancouver safely, you're more than welcome. Awesome. That's so cool. Thank you. And likewise here, we, we've got, we've got a spare room, uh, but the TV room that has a sofa, couch, sofa, bed in it. More than welcome to. Sweet. I mean, yeah. I, 
I have a ton of people I'd like to visit in that area soon, like um, John Erickson, who is a Lord Richard head on Instagram, great Polaroid photographer. He's he's up in that area now, so I want to go catch up with him and a few other people. So I will definitely take you up on that. Awesome, awesome. It's a it's a cool town. I spent the winter shooting it, which is something I'd never done before. Actually, like the industrial sections of the city. Love it. I fell in love with Seattle again, which was nice because I was kind of hating on it for a while. But I really, I enjoy Seattle quite a lot. Yeah. Well, I, I think you've redeemed yourself in Brandy's eyes there, hopefully. So? <laughs> no, I hope so. Because there is, I mean, I, I mostly leave the city to shoot, but, you know, it's... It doesn't make it a, a not nice place. We've got we've got things here. I'm sure. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you spending all this time with me. Yeah, thank you. This, I is think right. this has been the longest episode so far. Um, oh, I'm yeah, I'm guilty of that sometimes. No, 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 I, <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's it was great uh, chatting with you. Um, it felt extremely natural and, um, you know, I, I feel that it was engaging for, uh, for people out here. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. We seem to have, we seem to have kept uh, a lot of folks watching anyway. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, this will get posted up on, um, on YouTube and eventually on podcast because I've been ripping the audio and putting them onto, um, Apple and Spotify. Um, so if you're listening on there, thank you for, for tuning in. And for everyone that's uh, stayed with us so far, thank you so much. Um, appreciate all y'all. And uh, next week, we are going to have Chrissy uh, Wu joining us, Wootography. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> I will. Yeah, that's rad. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're it's kind of a back and forth because they interviewed me on Classic Camera Revival oh okay yeah yeah so it's um it'll be fun to have her on but thank you so much for spending some time with me no thank you for having me it's been real fun of course and look forward to catching up with you in the real world heck yes all right well stay right. Safe out there and uh you know wash your hands and uh don't be a dick i, I will do my best <laughs> <laughs> all right okay all right.